This morning, we are also ending a sermon series, as I mentioned earlier, with the, with the um, little hourglass. Our focus for January and February has been on just learning to breathe, just learning to inhale God's love and grace in our lives, which we all need. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We need God's grace and God's love in our lives. Amen? Amen. Every single day. And to breathe out all that negative stuff that encumbers our thinking and keeps us from being the people that God wants us to be. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking one last time on this theme of what are the things that we need to take into our lives as we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. But first, I'd like to tell you about a hobby that I have, and it certainly is one of the hobbies that I use to sort of detach from stuff that overwhelms me in life, and that's my record collection that I started as a 13-year-old boy growing up in North Dakota. I remember the first record that I bought when I went to Fargo, and it was a big deal, and I brought it home and put it on the turntable, and a hobby was created that continues to today. And a few years ago, I was at Savers, and I saw a record that I had never owned before, but I knew it quite well, because when I was in college, my Roommate and I, we had our stereo, and next door somebody also had a stereo that was always played quite loudly, and I don't know if any of you remember those days of being in college where you hear your next-door neighbor's albums and you learn them as well as your own. Well, the guy next door had the record Breakfast in America by Supertramp. I knew every song on it, and there it was, 99 cents, sitting in a bin. So I bought I took it home, and I put it on the stereo, and... I noticed it had some pops and clicks and snaps in it, and it just wasn't up to the standards I'd hoped it was going to be. And a short time after that, I was in Newbury Comics, and there it was, the same record. This time it was $4.99. It looked a little bit better than the last one I bought, so I thought, why not? I went and I bought it, and I took it home, and I put it on the record player, and it had snaps and it pops, and it sounded pretty much like the one that I paid $0.99 cents for. But then a while ago, now it's been closed... For a couple of years, there was a record store downtown called Mars Records. Did anybody remember that? That was down on Court Street. There you go. Tim was a good friend of mine. We probably ran into each other there a time or two. And there in the racks was, you named it, you got it, Breakfast in America by Supertramp, $9.99. It looked great. I took it home, all excited, put it on the record player, and it didn't sound any better than the one I bought at Savers. However... Story doesn't end there. One day I was looking on eBay, and yes, indeed, I finally found the copy. This one was going to be perfect. It had never been opened. It was in the cellophane. I'm not going to tell you how much I paid for it. I do remember when it says, you won the auction. You don't win the auction. Now they want my money. So I bought it, and it came. It, it was brand new. It had never been opened. It had the sticker on it with the, the, all the thing about the logical song. And I opened it up, and I put it on the stereo. And it didn't sound any better than my one that I bought for 99 cents at Savers. And now I had the dilemma of having four Supertramp albums. We'll get back to that later. You know, that's much of what life is. We expect our life or want our life to somehow be perfect, amen? And it's not. And we see the snaps of pops and things, and we see the imperfections, and we struggle. Because you see, expectations are really just resentments waiting to happen. Hear that loud and clear. When you and I expect life to be perfect, 
We have started down the path of resentments because it's not going to happen, and then why doesn't it happen? And it does all kinds of stuff in our thinking. The philosopher Voltaire put it this way in 1770, the best is the enemy of the good. The best is the enemy of the good. If you and I always want it to be best or perfect, it's not going to happen, and then we miss what's right in front of us. It's like a nice Supertramp album to listen to and enjoy on a Sunday afternoon, which I probably will do after worship. Paul was in prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi. It's an interesting church because it's a church that he himself had started, and it had so much that was good. And they were a wonderful congregation. It was located in what's now modern-day Greece. They were faithful, and they were generous, and he celebrates that in his letter. He even calls them the most generous of the Christians that he had gotten to know because they supported him more than any other congregation. Still, they lacked something, and as you read through that letter, people often say, why did he write the letter? Well, I believe one of the reasons he wrote the letter was to thank them for their generosity and their faithfulness, but to point out to them that they were not satisfied in life because there was infighting within their congregation. And there were people saying, no, this needs to improve, or no, it has to happen this way. And so he writes this letter, and he wants them to understand that in order for them to move forward, he was literally challenging them to press on in their lives. And that's what this passage, verses 12 through 16, is about, is about learning to press on. They had to come to terms with some things, and the first one was their perfectionism, amen? Now, if you're not a perfectionist, if you're a person who's just satisfied and learned to the secret of always being satisfied, I guess you can leave right now. Because most of us find that that is what happens in our lives. We want more. We expect more. We think that things need to be somehow different than they are. Perfectionism will keep us from confidently moving forward every time. Hear me? It'll keep us from moving confidently forward as our expectations grow and those resentments come in and we start dwelling on things that we shouldn't be dwelling on. And that's why Paul wants the early church and us to understand that we need to stop our perfectionist thinking. Paul puts it this way, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Hear those words? This is Paul speaking. This isn't Pastor Stan, a, you know, insignificant little pastor in... 2022. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is a guy who is the person who's responsible for so much that happens within the early Christian faith, the person who's come to faith in Jesus and given up everything, and he's in prison because he's a faithful Christian, and what does he say? It's not like I'm already perfect. Man, those are comforting words. Next time you want to beat yourself up for something, think about the fact that even the great Apostle Paul was very clear about the fact that he had his own humanness. Now, he doesn't get into it. He doesn't tell us. Maybe he maybe lost his temper. I don't know. Maybe he was critical. Maybe he was judgmental. Maybe he suffered from fears. He's not really clear about what it is, but he makes it clear that he isn't awful. He's just not perfect. He also knows as he's looking to the future that someday he's saying, I will be made perfect. That's true for every one of us. Do you want to be perfect? We go to heaven. <laughs> That's our future. But right now, we see that in the future, and we see that, and that is our great hope, but that's what we're moving towards. So yes, life is about improving. As, as Alona shared with us a few moments ago, 
You don't feel prepared? Welcome to the club. (laughs) Neither does anyone else. There's so much in life that we're not going to be fully prepared for, but we just learn to live faithfully in the midst of it. Again, Paul is a Roman citizen, and that was certainly something to brag about in the first century. That meant that he had the ability to go places that others didn't. And as a Jewish young man, he understood that that was a good thing in his life. He was also well-educated. He studied under Gamaliel. In fact, that's why he was able to write the majority of the New Testament more than anyone else. He started more churches than anybody else in human history. I only recently came to understand the power of that. We send out missionaries who maybe can see thousands and hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ or, or we'll have evangelists who do an amazing job of, of bringing 100,000 people into an auditorium. That's not what Paul did. He just started small churches <laughs> everywhere he went. Came to your town and he left and you had a church. And you're like, how did that happen? But by his own admission, he was an imperfect person. It's not like I'm already perfect, he said. You see, perfectionism is dishonest. It's dishonest about ourselves and it's dishonest about others. If you and I go through life and we compare ourselves to this perfect person who's got it all together, we're not being truthful about who that person is. And if we're acting as if somehow we need to be somebody that we aren't, no, let's learn to be satisfied with the person that God made us to be. There's a guy who was struggling with life and he went to his pastor and every week he met with her and Pastor, I'm just struggling, and I just need to meet more. And the pastor kept meeting week after week. And finally, she probably got a little frustrated because it was always the same conversation. And she said, you really want the secret of life? The guy said, yeah, that's, that's really what I'm struggling with. She said, okay, go to the public library and walk into the reference room. And against the wall, facing the front desk, there's a bookshelf. Now look on the second shelf down, not the first shelf, second shelf down, and pick up the fifth book from the left. Now turn to that book on page 165 and take with you a sheet of paper, and I want you to write down everything you learn from the second paragraph on page 165. Now, I don't want to hear anything from you. You're going to go a whole week, and you're going to take that paper that you've written down, and I just want you to reflect on what you've learned And next Tuesday at 10.30, not before, don't call me, don't text me, just leave me alone until next Tuesday, 10.30, you come back and you tell me everything you've learned and you will have the secret of life. Guy comes back the next week and he walks in and she goes, well, he goes, I don't get it. She goes, what do you mean you don't get it? What did you find? He, He goes, I found the baseball almanac, an old copy of it from 1996. Yes, the pastor said, but what did you learn? Well, I turned to page 165, I went to the paragraph you said, and and all it was was a paragraph about Ty Cobb. Exactly. What did you learn about Ty Cobb? Uh, I had a lifetime batting average of 367. Exactly, said the pastor. Ty Cobb, the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, didn't get on base 63% of the time, and you think that you can be perfect. Folks, that's the problem that we do. We compare ourselves and think that somehow there's perfection out there, that somehow it can all be perfect for us. The Apostle Paul didn't need to be perfect, and neither do we. Breathe that into your life. Let's accept that truth about ourselves. 
We are who we are, and we are who God created us to be, and God created us to be the people that we are because God doesn't make junk. God knew exactly what was being done. And in a healthy way, that means that we need to learn to forget the past, not bury the past, not deny the past, but learn what Paul talks about in verse 13 when he says, there's one thing that I do. Forgetting the past, I press forward. This, folks, is a gospel. That's the gospel message right there, forgetting the past. It means I mess up, Jesus forgives me, and I can let it go. Wow, is that a tough one. That's so easy to say when we're standing in front of a congregation and we're sitting in church. But that is a hard thing to put into place in our lives. Because our minds dwell back on the mistakes that we make and the things that we've done wrong. We mess up. Welcome to, the, welcome to being a human being. But I thought I was going to get it right this time. And what do we learn? We learn that we serve a Savior who's loving and gracious and extends grace time after time in our lives. Think of what the Apostle Paul had to deal with. Yes, he did all those great things, but he had some pretty serious blunders in his past. As a young man, we're first introduced to him in the book of Acts when he's still Jewish and he never gave up his Judaism, but he certainly didn't like this group of Christians that were coming along, and he had no idea at that point that someday he was going to be one of them. And there was a young man named Stephen who was a faithful Christian, and people stoned him to death. And Paul, as a young man, stood there and egged them on. Think about being part of that and living with that the rest of your life. Now he comes to faith as a Christian, and he's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I did before. And then the Bible tells us that he goes out on his missionary journey, the first missionary journey, and he takes with him a guy named Barnabas. And he and Barnabas are these great early Christian leaders, and there's a young man that Barnabas wants to take along. His name is John Mark. In all likelihood, John Mark could have been a cousin of Barnabas's. They seem to have had a, another relationship that, that allowed him to see things in him that Paul wasn't able to because one time, this young man, Barnabas, says that the missionary journey is too much. You know, this serving Jesus and getting beat up and thrown by the, the gates of the town just kind of got to him. And he said, I'm done. And the Bible tells us that he leaves and he went to Jerusalem. And you don't hear anything else about him until Paul is getting ready to put together his next missionary journey. And so he goes, Barnabas, we got to get together the next journey. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. To which Paul says, I don't think so. I'm not going to do it. He can't forgive him. He can't mentor him. He can't do the things that he's supposed to do. That is the very embodiment of what a Christian leader is supposed to do, is give people another chance and give them the opportunity to grow and learn from their experiences. But instead, he splits with Barnabas, Barnabas takes John Mark, and Paul goes on. Years later, we read the Apostle Paul says, bring John Mark to me. I found this guy useful. And we realize that in his mind, he realized he'd made a mistake. He had not been there for this person when he was supposed to be. His very calling was to be a person of embodied grace, and now he knew that he hadn't done it. So does he beat himself up for it? He says, no, these, these things in my life, i got to forget. i got to put them in the right place. You see, forgetting is really kind of an overlooking. The word describes the times that we forget things. 
Not that we want to forget them, not that they're gone from our mind, but for instance, there's a time when the disciples go out and the same word is used for them and Jesus turns to them and says, which of you brought the bread for us to eat? And the disciples go, oops, we overlooked it, we forgot it. No, it doesn't mean that they didn't know that there was bread. It doesn't mean that they aren't able to say, oh, it's something that I can recall in my mind. But now Paul uses that word and says, you know how sometimes you go to the store and you get there and you want to call your husband or wife and you have forgot your cell phone at home, but you still know you have a cell phone, but you kind of forgot it. He says, learn to put that into practice with the negative things of our past. To willfully learn to say they're just not going to be that important. Just like it wasn't that big a deal to grab the cell phone on our way to Market Basket. When we learn to do that, we learn to allow that the things of our past are things we can grow from and we can learn from, but they don't have to control us. Hear the difference? Now I know that the most recent Olympics wasn't the most popular thing and it got bad ratings, but I've always been a fan of the Olympics. I've loved it since I was a kid. In 1972, one of the most important Olympics ever, because that was also the Olympics in which the tragedy with the Israeli national team took place, where they had the tragic death at the airport, and we were all transfixed as young people watching that on television. But there was also some amazing moments. And I know as Americans, we're all supposed to cheer for Americans, but there was a guy who was a runner. His name was Lasse Varen. I asked on Saturday, does anybody know about him? And my wife raised her hand. And I go, well, that doesn't count because I talk about him all the time. And we always watch these YouTube videos on him. Of course you do. But to bring your memory back, Lasse Varen was in the 1972 Olympics. And it was his first race was at 10,000 meters. 10,000 meters is a pretty good race. That's 6.2 miles running around a track. Midway through the race, Lasse Viren was in fifth place when he suddenly stumbled and fell. And we all saw it. As a kid, I'm watching it. I go, well, that race is over for that guy because now everybody runs forward. The rest of the race doesn't stop and doesn't say, oh, isn't that too bad that this guy fell? The race keeps going. And Lasse Viren at that point could have said, I can't believe I did that in the past. Can you believe that I just fell? I worked so hard to get to the Olympics and now I fell. He could have kicked the dirt and walked off. And you know, probably people would have understood. But instead, he rose quickly and started running. Now that he's about 500 meters behind everybody else. And he kept going forward and going forward. The front of the pack had the lead that was changing, and the cameras would go back and show you where Lasse Viren was. And with one and a half laps to go, he started to put pressure because now he caught up to the back of the pack, and he started taking on his opponents one after another, after another, after another. And finally, Lasse Viren won the race. He didn't worry about the past. He didn't think about it. He didn't dwell about it. He just got up and kept going, and he won the race by six meters. But that's not what's amazing. He set a world record in that race. And the record that he set on that track has never been beaten. Hear the point, folks? Our past is there. The things need to be put in their proper perspective. We need to, in the healthy way that Paul teaches us, forget or learn to overlook the things that continue to just tear us down. Because accepting to choose to overlook the past will give us peace. 
Once we can come to terms with it and learn to accept that we are who we are and God created us who we are and we are here today, praise God because we get to move forward from here. And then once we get to that point, we can start looking at the good and learn one of the most important words we can ever learn in the human vocabulary and it's called the word celebrate. Hear me? Celebrate. Laugh and find joy and see the good that God's doing in our life and in our world. Paul put it this way in verse 16. He said, let's hold true to that which we have attained. Let's hold true is, is a description of people coming together, and attaining is a description of our accomplishments. Let's come together, he basically says, and celebrate the good things that have happened, rather than dwelling and getting our mind focused on, oh, I'm not that person, and oh, I should have done that, and I can't believe I said yesterday... You know, if I had that conversation to say over again, I would have told that person this. Guess what? You don't have that conversation to tell that person that. But you do get to celebrate who we are today. And Paul's looking at this church and saying, would you people please celebrate what you're doing? You are a bunch of first century Christians. That's a good thing. In an environment in which it is not comfortable to be a Christian. To be a Christian means you can lose your life Let's celebrate your faithfulness. As I watch the events in Ukraine, man, there's some faithful people to celebrate. And as I watched young people in St. Petersburg standing for peace and saying, I am not going to allow my conscience to be violated, no matter the personal cost. That's like what Paul's seeing in this early church. The same thing is true in our life. Now, there's no great cost to come to church this morning, but we do live in a culture that is not exactly the most God-fearing culture. Can we celebrate that we're Christians? Can we say, thank goodness that we are people who have prayers with our meals and read the scripture and seek to live and honor God and bring that message to others? Because that's what Paul is asking us to do. Celebrate the good things that God's done in our life. My little boy, David, had a problem when he was little because he had a whole bunch of ear infections, and it caused him not to be able to hear certain things and certain sounds, and it took a while for all of that to get worked out with him, and it also caused a little speech impediment when he was little. He was also a bright little boy, and he really wanted to win the spelling bee, and he worked really hard every year. And it always seemed to happen, the same thing happened in his class. There was always a word that he just couldn't hear. And we would talk to him later about it, and he just couldn't hear certain things in it. And he always came in second place. So we celebrated second place. That's awesome, but he used to feel bad about it. And, and we were like, I don't really know what to tell you. I mean, there's only, you, you have the limitations you have. And then when he was a fifth grader, he was in something called Math Olympiad. And Math Olympiad, well, he wasn't really a math person. He's always, today, he's an English teacher, so, you know, my boys weren't, like, crazy about math, but he won it. That was huge. And we're like, this is amazing. And his first words were, but I never won the spelling bee. <laughs> it doesn't matter, son. We are going to celebrate this trophy. This is the first trophy you got. It may be the only one you ever get. And if he doesn't have that trophy today, he's going to hear about it from his father because I'm looking for it after church. <laughs> Later, we moved to another town. And he confidently went into Math Olympiad. And he was sure now he was going to win. 
Because you see, Math Olympiad was fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and he won as a fifth grader. And now he was with the sixth graders, and he was the oldest one. And guess what? There was a girl who was so much smarter than anybody I've ever met, and she blew everybody, including David, away. And we were able to go back and say, learn to celebrate who we are in the good things that happen in our lives. Celebrate what's positive. Celebrate what's good. Celebrate second place. Celebrate having a healthy family. Celebrate getting up in the morning and saying, thank you, God, for the day that you've given to us. One of my favorite novelists is a guy named Wallace Stegner. There's a lot of reasons I like him, and one, yes, indeed, he came from North Dakota. But that's just another story for another day. Actually, no, it's pertinent in that story today, so I guess that is important that I mention that. Wallace Stegner is an author who writes about the American West. And he grew up first, he was in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and later his family became homesteaders, and he went to Manitoba. And he was brilliant, growing up on a homestead. And eventually, his brilliance led him to Harvard, and he became a student at Harvard, and he wrote a book called Wolf Willow, which looks back at his childhood and his life and growing up, and it was given to me as a gift years ago, and it's probably my favorite book by him because of some of his reflections in it, and there's a lot of things that have really touched me. But one was a story that he told about when he was at Harvard, he got to know people that had opportunities that he never had in his life. He said he couldn't even imagine it. He grew up on the prairie in homesteaders, and now he was at Harvard with people who grew up from Boston and Philadelphia and New York, families that were wealthy, that when the summers came and these kids were growing up, they would go to England and to the continent. That meant they went to Europe. He didn't even know the term until he got to Harvard. And one day he was comparing himself, and he tells the story. He says, one day I was comparing myself and talking about how I just don't have a chance. Like, you all have opportunities and stuff in your life that I never had. And a friend of his said words to him that changed him. They said, you know, when I was at the Louvre as a young kid, you were doing something. And he said, I was. I was out on the prairie. And I was outstanding looking at the expanse of the sky. And you didn't get that if you weren't out on the prairie. And I read that, and I thought about my life as a kid taking my bike and riding it out in the country and being in the middle of a cornfield and not being able to see a tree or a person or a car or anything around. And Stegner's point was, let's celebrate that. Let's not compare ourselves to someone else. Let's not compare ourselves to the person who had opportunities that we didn't have. Let's celebrate the good that God has done in our life. Let us realize, every single one of us, that if we're going to press on and move forward in our lives, the perfectionism, folks, has got to go. There are things that have got to be able to be in the past to inform us, but they cannot be controlling our thinking. And we need to learn to celebrate. Celebrate every day the good that God's doing and the opportunities that we've had. Which brings me back to my record collection. So what did I do with my four copies of Breakfast in America? They're not all at my house today. I gave three of them away. But first, I took that Savers LP and I kept it. But I put it in the jacket of the album I got on eBay because I like that sticker. I think it's really cool. And now today, when life is stressful and I need to detach, 
I like to sit in my living room with my boxer. Boxer's my dog. Pushing against me, trying to grab the spot on the couch away from me. And just breathe. And let things go. And listen to Breakfast in America. I especially like to turn on the song, the logical song. And hear these words. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle. It was beautiful, magical. And all the birds in the trees, they'd sing so happily. Oh, joyfully. Playfully. Watching me. How do we press on? We learn to accept. We learn to detach. We learn to quit having the perfectionism or the things in our past control our lives. We learn that we're okay where we are. That's a hard thing for us to come to terms with. Where you are today is okay. It's where God wants you and me to be. Let's learn to celebrate what God's doing in our life. Let's learn what Paul told us. Even he himself was not perfect. Nobody to compare ourselves to. But he learned to press forward, to keep going, and to realize that God was doing an amazing thing in his life and in each one of our lives. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to come to terms with things we need to come to terms with and to celebrate the things you're doing. Help us to realize that there's so much that you're doing in our life and in our world, and it's good and it's gracious, and we are just privileged to be your children. Life is beautiful. It's wonderful when we look at it that way. We pray your guidance. We pray your grace for this congregation and each one of us. May we not just in January and February, but every day of our life, learn to just breathe in your goodness and live for you. In Christ's name we pray.